0: Good afternoon, everyone, and welcome back to the Ghost Dog 49 podcast. I am Ghost Dog, your host, of course, and we are picking up after about two weeks off this time. I've been a little bit sick, so we haven't got a lot done. So what direction do we want to take this thing? As you all know, my goal is really to get this thing up and going and to do interviews, call people, hear their stories, and help them get their stories out there. But if you're like me, and this microphone that I'm using right now, it seems like it kind of goes in and out. doesn't really stay dead on. So I'm going to wait just a few more weeks before I really try to kick that part off. I do got two... Brand new mics coming in to go with the system, so hopefully that will fix that problem so we can get that part of the show going. But today, let's do something a little bit different. Let's see. Let's talk about one of our pioneers. And when I I say one of our pioneers, that's, we're saying one of the very first people that a lot of people in the field consider to be one of the first ghost hunters. Professional ghost hunter, that is. But as you know, we all don't think that, that there is any real professional ghost hunters out there. We're all out here doing a lot of guessing, making up a lot of different hypotheses and things like that. But today we're gonna to talk about the one and only Harry Price. So, does anybody know anything about Harry Price? That'd be the first question. And since I'm the only one here talking today, I'm gonna to say probably not, if I'm right. Does that sound about right, maybe? <laughs> <laughs> Well, Harry Price was one of the f- first people who really got into magic. He liked magic, loved going to the magic shows, learning how to do the magic. And this was back in the early 20s, back when, right around the time frame of World War II. At, and at that time, in after World War II, there were so many people, especially over in Europe, who were going to see mediums and stuff, trying to connect with their lost loved ones and everything. Harry Price kind of found himself getting into these seances and stuff and was really starting to kick off making money doing science, doing this, which... As we all really know, that's pretty much all fake. But Harry Price was really started to really make his name in this. But after he got married and a few things going on, he really just knew this is where he was going. He had a very horrid incident happen that kind of, Changed the direction. And he decided he no longer wanted to do the seances anymore. So he started kicking off going to these big theaters where these seance people were coming and putting on their big shows. And he made a habit of calling them out going up on stage and making these people look like fools. So anytime that he found somebody he thought was a fraud, he would get up to help people save money, basically, and disprove these people. By doing all of this, he finally decided to actually look into actual hauntings, and which led into him getting into ghost setting of course. So the main point I'm trying to make here is when Harry decided to go from one direction into another direction, he really started to look even more and more like a fraud. A lot of people got to where they didn't trust him to do anything paranormal, anything. They wanted nothing to do with him. But after years and years of him doing his work, research, documentation, starting to show where he was coming from, he he got his credit back, is how we'll put it. And that's just one person out of many who, got their start in the field of ghost hunting, and it really amazes me with all the people that are in the paranormal field today, a lot of people don't even know who Harry Price is, and to me, if you're going to be in the paranormal field, you should be buying books, reading about these The people who became before us, the work they did, the techniques they tried to use. I mean, um, there's so many different ways to look at things. That's where I'm I'm trying to go. A lot of people who are getting into the field now, they just really look at, uh, hey, we can uh, do what they do on TV, and I'll be the first one to tell you that's... Not really the way to go. Uh, You go go that route, you're not going to make it very long in the field because you're going to go to someone's house, they're going to see you they really don't know what you're doing, you're going to get a bad name real quick, and you're going to find out it's a little bit harder to actually get the evidence that people really need to prove what they've got going on. And how I was saying, a lot of these people, if you actually start buying books and reading, you may be really surprised to find out some of the bigger-name people who were interested in the paranormal field who never actually published anything. And I'm going to leave that at that point right now. So now I want to change things over to we got a new TV show on. It's been on uh, probably about four weeks now. I think they're on the fourth episode. And I was really, really excited about this one coming out just to see what direction they would take it. We have the Hans Holzer Files on TV now. Now, just like Carrie Price, Hans Holzer is another one of the first big ghost hunters. He has hundreds of books out on several different cases and so when I seen the show was coming up there talking about his files, it really piqued my interest to see what what exactly they were going to do. And so far I've been kind of impressed with the show. But you gotta remember it's on TV, so it is a show, but one of the cool ones that I just saw here recently was them going out to San Diego to the Welling House, and for me, I was just out there this last summer and did a walkthrough and everything, and yeah, there's definitely something there, I would love the chance to actually be in there overnight, but that's not really something that's just offered to the public. But it was an interesting show, to say the least. Um, other shows, like right now, that are coming back, the Ghost Hunter show is back on with just Grant and a whole new team. And the other guys are on have their own new show called Ghost Nation on another TV channel. I mean, there's just so much new stuff coming on, this paranormal TV. But it's just totally ridiculous. Now, me being someone that's in the two, the paranormal, I make it a habit to watch what I can catch on TV. Just for the simple reason, I can be watching Ghost Adventures, on Friday night or Saturday night, whatever night that are on, and come Monday, I'll get an email or a phone call from somebody asking for help. They got something going on in their house, and you start getting all the details, and then they're describing almost word for word <laughs> what happened last week on Ghost Adventures. And That's just kind of the game of the paranormal field right now. We, there's a lot of people who just really want attention, trying to get on TV, trying to step out be in the limelight for some. See, when I first got started in the field, we, there was none of this showing up in the car with a big sticker on the side of it saying the name of your paranormal team nobody got out wearing matching t-shirts or anything like that we came wearing everyday clothes and trying not to stand out another thing a lot of people don't realize when you actually as a team take on a client case when you do that first interview with them and you're getting their story and you're finding out all that information about this family that's living inside of a house that they think something's going on and, and you have to get really personal. You're asking about their medical history and mental st- status and things like that. and and you have to really try to do your best to make them feel comfortable with you, you feel comfortable with them, and let them know if they actually have something paranormal going on. You may not get it that first night there doing recordings and stuff. It takes a while. You could end up coming back back and forth to a person's house four or five times before you ever get that first actual little shred of evidence that there's something going on. So the one thing I've always made sure that my clients understood once I take on a case, I could be there a month for them. I may be there two, three. I've got people I've known and became part of my team because I went to their house to start an investigation for them. And they got interested in doing their home and eventually joined the team. So, I mean, once you start an investigation for somebody, you're actually becoming part of their family in a way they got to be able to trust you, to be able to call you in the middle of the night, be able to send you a text or whatever telling you that something mm. out of the ordinary that they don't really understood just happened. And another big thing is, which I'm dealing with a case right now with the gentleman, I have always had a very big rule about you don't investigate in your own home. You do not do anything in your own home. If you lived in if you live in the house and there's something going on, you have somebody else come in and do it. And while they're doing whatever they're doing, you leave the house. Now the reason for that is if you're the one actually investigating, you're letting them know that you know for a fact they're there you're giving them more energy. You're giving them the knowledge that, hey, we can act out here. They know we're here. We're scaring them. We're doing what we're supposed to be doing. Now, if it's just an ordinary ghost or a, um, how do we want to put it, just something on repeat that's just on record loop, going over and over it's not a big deal but if you actually have something that could be demonic or anything else in the home you just you don't you don't do that type of investigation yourself in your own home you don't do it it's a big big no no because all you're doing is feeding it even if it does sound like a little kid They've even now made that very popular in the TV shows that demons like to pretend they're little kids, and that is very, very true. And since I am really trying to keep these first few episodes kind of shorter than what these are going to add up to be later, I'm going to touch base about safety. Safety. Not just safety for yourself, but safety for your team. You really got, as I was talking about earlier, when you take on a case, you got to really get a feel for somebody. Sometimes you're going to get cases that you're going to be in a home for 15, 20 minutes, and you're going to start to see that this person's not mentally well off, for. there's other things going on, or they're drunk, they're high, they're this, they're that, whatever you want to call, call it. it, and it's just, you need to really get your team out of there. You can really get your team into some very, very dangerous situations at times. I will give you a couple examples here. One case I took one time for a client. The interview part, she actually came to my home to meet me because she lived in a good little ways away. So she came, sat down with a group of eight team members of mine and told her story, what she's got going on. and She sold it really, really well. So we set a date to get up there by that following weekend, drove up to where the, the case was. And we got there and got out of the car, went up to shake her hand and everything, and let her know that we were there and everything. And. First thing I smell on her is Jack Daniels. <laughs> if you know the smell of Jack Daniels, you, you know that smell real well. Now, I'm not going to say a person doesn't have a right to drink in their own home, but we went ahead and started unpacking and putting up the cameras and stuff, getting ready. And this case happened to be the... Saturday before Easter Sunday to be exact and we had the cameras up and running and she decided that she needed to go upstairs and get the kids Easter egg packages ready for Easter the next day which the kids were not there not a big thing and so I was sitting watching the cameras because I had everybody else doing other little things around the house. I nosed her pull out a knife and start stabbing the bags of candy. So I uh, very quickly got the teams on the walkies and told everybody it was really time to start packing up didn't say a word to the client or to the team as to why we were leaving in such a hurry until we were on the road leaving, but the woman definitely, after visiting with her that night and everything, making a few phone calls, found out she did have a history with the local police department there, and her kids even had a history with the police department. So that's one example. My second example is we took emergency case that involved a very small child one time where we were told a child was being scratched and bitten all kinds of different little stories. So we made the run over to check it out and everything. And upon getting to the location, all the red flags were starting to go up. Dirty house, a kitchen with a sink full of dishes that looked like hadn't been touched in a month, I'd say at least. Uh, some type of package of meat that was sitting there, bloody, with all kinds of bugs, and just not a healthy home at all, especially for a infant, because the child, I believe at the time, was just a little over one years old. And of course, when we got there, they made a point for the child not to be there, which when you're taking on a case, you kind of want the child to be there and see the child's eyes and kind of see what's going on. on that first, little which anytime I go out anywhere, I'm big about photography, trying to get something in pictures. I'm a strong believer, if you're gonna catch anything in there, paranormal, you're either going to get it through EVP, photography, or video. So I'm real big about my photography. So I probably took close to 400 pictures the first night I was there. And the next day while I was going through those photos something in my gut told me to start making some phone calls to some people there in that same town that I knew just to see if they might actually know something about this person and which the person I called didn't have a clue but since I gave her that name and everything within a turn of I'd say 48 hours I got another phone call back from that exact same person Wanting to know what all I saw in that home, and I, as I said, I'm big about taking pictures and documenting everything. That case turned into being a child abuse case. It ended up being the girl's boyfriend doing it, and. Within 24 hours of us being there that night, he had actually almost beat that child to death. And that was the very first time for a paranormal case that I actually ended up in court and helped social services move a child out of the home because of a so-called paranormal case that was no more paranormal than A domestic violence case. But the small things like that you got to pay attention to in cases. When you see things like that. Learning about the people and if there are small kids involved. It's a hard call to make sometimes. But you have to make that call. For not only your safety, but for those kids' safety. Okay, I think we're going to wrap it up for this week's episode. I think it should be pretty close at the 20-minute mark. I hope you're enjoying what we're doing so far. As I said, I do got new mics coming in here pretty quickly, so hopefully they'll help fix the in-and-out thing, and we can start making some phone calls and do some recordings that way. I want to thank you again for sticking around and listening to us. And we will talk to you again, hopefully within the week.